Hey y'all, it's Ashes, and welcome back to another episode of Simply Put. In my last episode, I talked about an experience I had with a former friend, and my comment section was exactly what I expected it to be, and so I wanted to give you the other side. Privately, I received a message asking if it was really that big of a deal, or if I was just making a molehill out of a mountain. So I asked some other people to join in to see how they would react. I sent Dr. Leon John, the DEI director at my alma mater, and Elizabeth Ortiz, the former communications professor and overall badass, the following text. Hey, can I ask you to do a tiny bit of emotional labor for me and add it to a project for Simply Put? It would require you to download the Anchor app and spend about 10 minutes listening to a scenario I was just in and responding about how you would feel in that situation. Both replied without hesitation. So... Without further ado, oh, yeah. uh, Rowan just here. baby Rowan just had a little bit of a blowout, so we've been, oh. uh, as soon as I hit it, I was just like, "Oh no, his diaper's off." I was like, "Well, we're just gonna we're just gonna be moms." That that is the truth, and really, you couldn't have like you know a, a calm minute for something. Not you at know. all. Always perfectly calm until I need to do something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've been there. Um, so let me open up my notes app because I actually have to read this time. Um, and we'll get started. So um, obviously, first off, welcome. Um, thank you for adding me to your schedule as quickly as you have and being really, really flexible when it comes to what my last couple of days have looked like. Absolutely. Um. So just so you know, I'm sure you know, because I send you the ones that I talk to you about or talk about you in, but I've mentioned you a couple of times as far as conversations we've had in a more professional setting. Some of those conversations will be relevant today. Um, Some of them won't, but I want to talk about things outside of professionalism. And I want you to talk about you and, and view the situations as a woman of color. So from one woman of color, to another. Um, So can you tell me a little bit about you from that perspective? Sure. Um, You know, it's, uh, it's interesting, because that term is one, right, that's relatively new. Um, And I think, probably like you, I I struggle with what exactly that term means. And I try Mm -hmm. to be really specific, um, as I talk about groups, but uh, for myself, I am a Latina, and I think you and I have talked about this before, but uh, I am both uh, from Puerto Rico and from Germany and a little bit of Irish in there. Um, but growing up, I had to fill in those little circles. Do you remember those? Yes. Uh, you know, like the SATs or Trauma. 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 Yeah. <laughs> So tiny little bubbles with a number two pencil and growing up, you had to choose a bubble for Mm -hmm. um, what I think was listed as race and behind what I think probably said Hispanic at the time uh, it said not white. And so I came to this space of having to figure out, you know, what bubble exactly do I fill in because I uh, can't fill in, in the white, excuse me, the, the white that says not Hispanic behind it. Right. Uh, cause mm-hmm. that's not accurate. And so I often filled out just the one bubble. And it's interesting as I think about ways that that might've framed 
kind of how I, I see myself or how I think about myself, um, you know, from that perspective. But so for that long story short, uh, I am Latina, um, other kind of critical spaces uh, that, that intersect there, I think are obviously being a woman, um, being a mom like yourself, um, since we're talking about that, that personal perspective, um, but it, it really, you know, for what should have been a really simple answer, I, I made that pretty complex. <laughs> Thanks for your you patience. <laughs> you didn't make it complex, though, because I remember as somebody who is split 50-50, like 50% unadulterated Jamaican mixed with a whole bunch of mutt of European white ancestry. So they're like white or black and all of the other things. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I live with my mom. I don't know my dad like that. My mom's white. They're like, no, you're black. And I was like, but I need, I really need to like have a conversation about this. And my little, you know, seven-year-old self in second grade is having this existential crisis that led me down the avenue of being really, really touchy when it comes to being put in boxes, specifically being forced into um, checking black when Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I could claim that at the time because I wasn't surrounded by black people. I was the only black kid in my school up until high school. And even then the only other black kid there was two years ahead of me and everybody tried to set us up together. So we didn't like each other on principle. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because people kept like putting us in the same spaces. Yeah. Uh, that is, I mean, how many of us were seven and like questioning our, <laughs> there's, there's more of us I know out there, you know, who, who are going through and while our experiences are obviously not a monolith. I think there's a lot of commonalities from the story you just shared from ones that I've also heard uh, from other students who are trying to navigate, you know, do I call myself this or, you know, have that struggle. Um, So yeah, I, I I feel that. (laughs) I feel that. And we always feel like we're the only one. Um, mm-hmm. We are obviously the only person who's ever going through this. Yeah. Uh, and then you find somebody else and you realize it's not just something, somebody right. else. And right. I'm getting a little bit distracted, but I do think that this is an important part of the conversation, especially because I talk about social media and using social media to learn and fall down rabbit holes and go as far as you're willing to go from people and creators who are willing to answer those questions. And you don't have to have other people do emotional labor for you. So mm. now... I have have two separate TikToks. I have one for fun and I have one for learning. But um, my one for learning is full of people who felt the same way as I did, who have then taken this journey when they realize that they aren't the only one and created and found other communities that feel the same way. And all of a sudden, there are millions of us. And we never would have known that we would have stayed completely isolated within that experience but because of the prevalence of social media and the accessibility of social media in many westernized countries i can't speak for other countries um specifically because like the problematic ones are the westernized ones the ones who don't get it are the westernized ones you're getting teachers who are getting on social media and tiktok and before tiktok instagram um, and before Instagram, Facebook groups specifically designed to learn about that perspective so that they could be more relatable to their students. And I understand not every teacher does that. Um, every teacher should, but not every teacher wants to. And no teacher gets paid enough to do that. And I understand that. <laughs> yeah. But um, the importance of having 
people in your life and teachers who understand. And I look at myself as somebody who never blossomed until I decided I was moving 10 hours away from college where I know, knew nobody. And I was starting over because I wanted to be someplace where there were people who looked like me in an environment that was meant for learning and where I could interact with the people that I was comfortable and like white coated to interact with, but also like tangentially explore other parts of myself. Was I going to be a part of the BSU? Absolutely not. Um, and that in some ways was internal racism on my part, but also I didn't feel like I belonged there. I didn't have things in common with them, but I wanted them in common with them. Mm. But I was infringing on their space in that situation. I didn't want them to have to teach me how to be in this in this space and own it. I wasn't ready for that yet. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, no, that's... <laughs> I have to tell you that um, last night I finished what I hope will be some of the final edits on uh, a paper that I've been working on. And as you talked about finding these communities online, that's really like the crux of my research, how it is that students in particular are finding these spaces online that they would not have been able to find both in real life, right? And, and also in traditional media. And so as you're saying that, I'm, I'm literally writing it down verbatim what you say. I'm glad we're recorded because in case <laughs> I missed a bit, um, but, but we need to revisit that at some point and talk about that uh, because that I've been thinking so much about that, so much about that. It creates accessible spaces to people who would never have that access otherwise. Yeah. Um, and being able to find community and like-minded things and gives people the confidence to be like, yes, I, I am who I am. Or the prevalence of ADHD that's now being diagnosed in like AFAB individuals because they were able to access more information of how ADHD presents differently, or perhaps not, how we, how we perceive ADHD presenting differently because of the way that we raise um, AFAB individuals over AMAB individuals um, and give them access to the diagnoses to take away a lot of the struggle that they were having spending all of the time masking and not understanding mm. why they were always exhausted and not understanding why they weren't maybe fitting in in spaces where they wanted to or yeah. weren't getting the help that they needed in order to in order to thrive and the same with autism services and yeah. as something where I have like sat down and I was like I have a lot of traits of autism and I have a lot of traits of ADHD and then I have a lot of friends who are therapists and it comes up in conversation because I never I never test as having either of those things. And they're like, Lynette, I was like, yeah. And like my friend Alyssa, who is a therapist in the town that I live in now, who I used to work for when I worked in residential, she just like slid me some papers one day while I was at her house. And it talks about um, the comorbidity between um, system or symptoms of autism and ADHD without the neurodivergency in people who have CPSD from early childhood. And so what's, what's interesting to me, and obviously uh, to Rowan <laughs> about this, uh, is the idea that what, what all of these 
factors look like, what all of these uh, obstacles or challenges um, or opportunities in some cases look like, we haven't looked at those from the perspective of what does this look like in uh, a woman? What does this look like in a person of color? What does this look like in, you know, someone who's not kind of the, um, the typically uh, studied, you know, folks in, in medical research? And what happens then when this is happening to someone who's at the intersections of multiple uh, different identities, right? We don't, mm -hmm. we don't really have a framework for thinking about that. Um, we don't really have a picture of what that looks like. And, you know, you're, you're coming up on your, what, thir third generation or third and a half generation of life. And, mm -hmm. and you're just getting to uncover this now, right? Like, yep. this is something that ideally, I mean, I see, I see ads that pop up on social, like, you know, how is it that you can um, have a diagnosis, how can you have this maybe from a few months old, right? So that you can best figure out how to meet the needs of that child or of that learner. And here you are trying to navigate this, you know, three and a half decades in. <laughs> that's, that's a lot. That's a lot. But I've learned a lot. And I do have a theory because there are a lot of, a lot of parents who maybe aren't the best parents when they present their parenting styles. We talk about, you know, little Timmy had ADHD, um, but I parented him this very terrible way um, and his behaviors became X, Y, and Z awful, um, but I didn't get him medicated and now he's an adult and he doesn't need medication and he never had ADHD to begin with. Like ADHD is a whatever. No, your, your little Timmy didn't have ADHD. He had trauma. Mm. And his symptoms of ADHD were a trauma response. So now whenever I'm like, man, I identify with that ADHD or this autism trait, I have to think, is this something that I did my entire life? Or is this something that I have done since a time in my life where I didn't feel safe? Mm. Wow. Um, I really, I really appreciate that perspective. This is an area that I don't know as much about, quite honestly, right? This isn't something that I've spent a lot of time researching because um, it hasn't necessarily impacted me in the way that, that some of these other challenges have. I mean, in particular, the ADHD, the, those spaces that you're talking about, but this trauma response is one that as an educator, I've really been trying to uh, pay attention to, really been trying to think about. Um, I, I, I'm just like, you know, I, I think we could probably talk for 10 hours is that yes. is okay. All right. <laughs> I don't want to take you off on, a, on another tangent, but it's just really fascinating. Um, and, and I'm so happy that you have been able to, and not that it's easy or not that it's done, but so happy that you've been able to navigate this and find these spaces where you feel seen and where you can get more information and where you're not feeling judged about wanting, you know, wanting to gather this information um, it, it's just really empowering as much as people, you know, talk negatively about social media, right? Like I hear that so often as a media educator, my gosh, the benefits of it are, I think we don't even realize the full potential yet. 
not even a little bit. And while I understand the thought process of, oh, you don't interact because you're on your phone all the time. Listen, I'm on my phone all the time because I don't want to interact with you. And whether I had my phone in my hand or not, (laughs) I would not be interacting with you. You're not going to come talk to me in the middle of the street in Detroit. Like, you're not going to come talk to me on the subway. You're not going to talk to me in the middle of the grocery store. I don't want it. I'm not interested. And if, like, holding my phone out is enough to get you not to talk to me, then it's a win. And I get to read a book. Yeah. I mean, if it weren't the phone, right, it, it might be a book, right, a physical book versus, like, an audio. It might be that you had on, can I go back to, like, the the 90s and the 80s? It might be that you had, like, a Walkman on or or an iPod or whatever it is. I was not alive in the 80s. I know. I'm going back (laughs) to the 80s. I'm flashing back for the for the older listeners out there, right? We but do like, have them. Shout out to Dr. <laughs> Favor. Hey. Yes, yes. So, you know, the idea, though, of creating that space between yourself and external people is one that I think a lot of people are familiar with. Um, but have you noticed that that still doesn't necessarily stop people? Oh, no, absolutely. It, it for sure does not. And it's funny, because I have had my hair dyed some strange color since I was in high school. Like my mom was a cosmetologist. So it was always like, you can wear your makeup however you want, you can shop wherever you want, as long as like, you're not buying hundreds of dollars worth of clothes and come home with two items. Um, you can have your hair however you want. My mom was the first one who was just like, well, let's go in here. And I was like, no, mom, that store scares me. It was Hot Topic. She's like, well, you always pick out these types of clothes from all of the other places that we go, why don't we just go to the shop that sells them? Yeah. yeah. No, mom, it's scary. <laughs> she's like four foot 10, uh, like maybe a hundred pounds soaking wet. And she's like, no, we're going to go. We're going to go. I love it. Um, so I always had that kind of freedom to express myself. Um, but I have tattoos now. I have visible tattoos. Um, I have controversial tattoos because I don't know if you know this, but I have runic symbols behind my ear. One of them has been appropriated by white supremacists. Mm. So it's an Alger's rune that's supposed to be for protection and strength and power. On me, I don't have to worry that anybody thinks I'm a white supremacist. My husband could not get that tattoo. Mm. He would not be safe. Right, right. Mm. Um, So it's very interesting like I have tattoos, I have colored hair. Um, I, I don't usually dress as if I want people to approach me. It never works. People always tell me how unattractive it is to have like colored hair and have visible tattoos and how nobody wants to talk to you. That is a lie. <laughs> that is a lie. I love my tattoos. I, I like my hair the way that it is most of the time. I don't particularly like it now. I think it looks like vomit, but everybody thinks that it looks really nice. And I have a whole bunch of compliments on it all the time. So like, you know, whatever. I can't see it. I can't see the hair <laughs> on my head. I don't care. It's like, oh, it looks like a sunset. That's so pretty. I'm like, oh, thank you. Every time I go through the lines at Starbucks, I love your sunglasses. I love your hair. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Because it's something I'm super self-conscious about. But am I still using the same color depositing shampoo instead of buying the color that I need? I am. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Those Starbucks baristas, they bring a little joy, don't they? I mean, really really like very, very cool people. I always meet extremely cool people at the at the drive-up window there's a local coffee shop around here too that I really love that has a drive-up window and the the folks there are always really great yeah Um, I think that's part of the reason going for coffee right it's not just the coffee but it's like the the people who are very cool (laughs) 
It really is. And like, I used to manage a tea and coffee shop. I don't think that you knew this, um, but I used to manage a tea and coffee shop and I loved it. And I loved the conversations that I had. Did I know anything about tea? Absolutely not. Did I go to conferences to learn about tea paid for by my employers? I sure did. Do I now know a whole bunch about tea? Yes. I logged into Twitter the other day because the try guys, um, I'm nosy and I didn't like Ned to begin with. So I was like, I want to see what they're saying on Twitter. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and I, I look and I was like, oh, all of these tea companies still follow me on Twitter. I've got like maybe 80 followers and like 50 of them are like tea companies. Oh my and gosh. I just think that's fun because I never use it. And even when I did use it, I definitely wasn't using it to talk about tea. Um, but I just think it's like a fun little niche area that I kind of belong to. But the things that you learn about things while being there are so valuable because you learn to talk to people and you learn yeah. to pull information from people, not just because the longer that they stay at your counter, the more that they may order, but because it makes your job legitimately more enjoyable. Nobody wants to just stand there and like throw coffee at people all day. Yeah. Yeah. You want to connect. Um, yeah. I don't always want to connect, but I do really enjoy the relationships that I built with people because of there, I enjoyed the regulars that we had. I enjoyed people who would just be like, make me whatever. And I would, <laughs> and they didn't care how much it cost. Um, they would buy it because I recommended it. And I think that's like such a cool level of trust in yes. somebody who yeah. you don't know that well. At the end of the day, it's almost like a quasi parasocial relationship. I know a whole bunch about you, but I'm not telling you much about me. But you trust me enough to make something that you would like based on your past orders and your personality that you've shown me. Yeah, no, I really love that. It's absolutely such a, a great example, I think, of, um, you know, the trust that, that we can put in other people sometimes without knowing much about them. It's funny because that I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to use that as a segue into what I ask you here to talk about. And then we can go and talk about other things. I know I said 10 minutes, but that's just because I feel bad taking up your time. Oh, um, thank you. When I, when I tell you that I have fangirled over Liz Ortiz for the longest time, I mean, when she followed my Facebook page, I screenshot it and sent it to all of my best friends and <laughs> Tammy Bean and felt like I had made it. I didn't care about anybody else. I was like, Liz Ortiz, no, I exist. Oh my gosh. I, it, that is okay. That's hysterical to me and so lovely. But I, you know, I feel like the luckiest person in the world that I got to be a faculty member at a women's college for as long as I did. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. I was there for 19 years and I, most of my social media feed is filled with students and, you know, folks that I knew from that time. And so I often joke with people that I sometimes have this, you know, tilted view of the world in that, you know, the issues that matter to me, the things that I care about, I am met when I log into social media with other people who care deeply and who care passionately about those same things. And so I've built this space kind of unknowingly right? Because uh, mm -hmm. it wasn't necessarily, I wasn't curating it at the beginning when I got Facebook in 2007 or whenever that was, you know, mm -hmm. it just happened that I got to be friends with all of these really cool students that, that passed through my classroom. And um, they may not, I mean, they might remember me, they might not, but every day, like they, 
they make my life a little brighter because I get to see that like there's really great people in the world and they really care about things that matter and they're working to make this world a better place. And so I, I am constantly fangirling over like everyone in my, in my social media feed because um, it, it really gives me, it gives me life on days that are really, really challenging. So the fangirl is, is returned, it's reciprocal. <laughs> From a past student who wasn't a student of yours, but who worked in the library when you taught in the library and would, was watching your classes a lot of the time. Um, I was always very careful on which professors that I wanted to give access to my life like that. Mm, yeah. So any past student that you have who you have continued on this journey with, um, you're there on purpose. Oh. That's really because special. if they if they didn't want to let you or trust you in that part of their life, you wouldn't be there. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I appreciate that that perspective, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna carry that with me because I really like that. So thank you for that. Um, so recently, there has been a thing that has happened to me that has caused a lot of discussion, and it's turned into this teachable moment that I would like to have. Um, that I didn't realize that I hadn't had in the past. So this is gonna, you may get some feels. I'm gonna read the scenario that happened. I want you to do what you can to pay attention to the details that stick out to you. And then I'm gonna ask you two questions. Okay, okay. all right. Um, so you're young. I mean, you are young, but you're- Yeah, I had age, a Walkman, so. but yeah, it's cool. I had a Walkman. <laughs> I had a Walkman. <laughs> I had an I had an iPod Touch and I had an iPhone. <laughs> I I had a I had the Little Mermaid on cassette tape. Ooh, I like that. That is it's <laughs> good. But yes, okay. So I'm young. We're going with that. Let's do okay, it. So yeah. you're like 32 because I'm 32, and this happened to me a couple <laughs> weeks ago. Um, and within the, the five or six years previous, you've committed to unpacking some of your internalized racism, you've learned to hold boundaries, and you've unintentionally gotten started in various levels of DEI work. All of a sudden, you're noticing you're having difficulties with a friend and realize a lot of the difficulties seem to boil down to their unintentional racism and various levels of microaggressions. You begin to set boundaries, the boundaries are ignored, confrontation happens, and you both drift your separate ways. A couple years pass, and the two of you have gotten together once or twice because your children are friends, because we're moms. Um, this leads to occasionally talking for a week or two after, but it always ends up the same as it did before. The mm -hmm. aforementioned boundaries being crossed, confrontation happening, them crying, you holding the boundary, them getting angry, the crying didn't work, and then ultimately ghosting for several months before trying again, usually after some emergency with the children and always without acknowledging why they stopped talking. This time around, you tell them this will be the last time you're willing to try. Either stuff gets fixed or it doesn't, and the amount they ask of you during this pattern is too much. You state you aren't willing to hold space for this via text, but if they set up a time and a place to meet you, you'll be there. They agreed immediately and added that they can't figure out what they're asking from you, but they must be asking something if you keep bringing it up. The week of the meeting, they give you the choice between two cities, one you had been to and one you hadn't, but you saw they had the same travel time and decided it didn't matter. 
The event page shows one has food trucks that day and one does not, so food trucks it is. It's important to note that this is someone who used to plan weekend trips with you once a month, so looking at the safety of the place was something they were used to, and one of the first things that they mentioned to other people who wanted to plan with us. Ultimately, your safety is your responsibility, but it's always been something they made sure you never had to worry about. The morning of the meeting, a last minute scheduling conflict means you have to bring your infant with you. As you're driving into town, you notice a farmhouse with a bunch of cars outside. Several of the hoods were painted white and it catches your attention because it's not just this, this hood was taken from the same naked model of another car and you just needed it to fix the hood on your car. It was almost like it was painted with chalk paint. You chalk it up to country living and keep driving. Once to the town proper, you enter a store and notice the person behind the register was doing his damnedest to let you see him deliberately not see you. I don't know if that description makes sense to those listening, but I'm hoping that it makes sense to you, Liz. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what you mean. The strange non-interaction heightened your awareness of your surroundings and led you to keep your hands on the carrier strapped to your chest and visible at all times. You decide not to go into any other shops. You're supposed to be talking anyway. So you spend the rest of the time walking around the town and listening to your friends speak. Later opting for takeout, picked up by them, and eating in the car rather than the food trucks. You say nothing about your uneasiness and give the conversation the attention it deserves. You drive home and you're explaining some of the weird encounters to another friend and they say the following. What the fuck were you doing there? That's like the KKK capital of the state. Even my pasty white ass doesn't like being there. It's one of the most racist places I've ever been. I knew someone who lived there in college and I hated going to see them and always tried to get out of there as quickly as possible. And I hated it if I needed to be there at night. So you do some digging. Not only was one man's racism so deep and insidious it defined the town, but it's still considered unsafe for people of color even now, almost 30 years after his death. Black people have been reportedly denied service at their establishments within the last five years. One article mentions that the way that locals have shown their support of their racist past is by painting the hoods of their cars white. Mm. This person has had access to everything I've spoken about since the beginning, was one of my first subscribers, and is responsible for at least 25% of my content the last four years, whether by suggesting topics they'd like to learn more about, through experiences that I've had with them being real-world examples I've used to get my point across, or by listening to me practice and encouraging me to post things I was unsure I was ready to deal with the fallout from. Their access includes the months I spoke nonstop about the longstanding dangers of sundown towns across all of my platforms and to whoever was willing to listen in my daily life. Now, I have two questions. One, given the underlying reasons your friendship crumbled, how would you react in that situation? And two, from the limited information given, what unspoken things are being demanded of you? Hmm. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And I can tell that you've put a lot of time into really making sure that, you know, you've, you've shared with me your feelings, but I, I don't feel you immediately disparage this person. You gave me kind of this long history. Um, and so I appreciate that. I can tell how much thought you put into um, giving them the credit due, even in spaces where maybe you felt uh, in hindsight that it wasn't wasn't deserved. Uh, so thank you so much for that. So the unspoken is the one I'm going to start with. So that's question number two. And this is how I take written tests as well. I, I start with not question number one. Um, 
so you asked about what is the unspoken that's being asked of you. I mean, so here you're being asked to, to revisit this relationship. And there's obviously something really um, that you valued here at one point that you're, you're trying to, in a way, right, get back to um, or figure out if, if there's something there to get back to. And so to me, um, you're giving a lot of yourself. And while that can be seen as very generous, I wonder if there's any benefit to you. And that might sound cold. I don't think that all relationships or all interactions need to benefit you, right? But if over time and over years, this relationship has harmed you repeatedly, but you're still being kind of pulled back into the fray, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem that this serves you. So as you're being asked to come back in again and again, um, you, you're constantly, it sounds like, being put in that space of putting other people's feelings and emotions above your own. And again, I appreciated, too, that you mentioned about it being, you know, limited information. But from from what I heard, from what I heard in that, that story, um, it seems like a lot is being asked of you, a lot emotionally. And the extra layer here um, then is the actual physical and perhaps physical, but definite mental risk that um, that you were put in, in this space. Um, something in your gut told you kind of immediately that something wasn't right, I think, when you saw... When you saw all those hoods, um, when you talk about being at the space at the counter and being basically ignored, uh, all of that feels so unsafe to me. I'd want to, you know, if it were my friend, I'd want to wrap them up, uh, you know, and and take them out of there and carry them out uh, because it it doesn't. I'd want to insulate them right from these external these external factors. So. Have you had, and I guess this is the, the teacher in me too, asking a question to your questions. Um, have you had the opportunity to, did you have the opportunity at that time to talk to this person about this town? I like, spoke to them afterwards. After. Um, and by spoke to them afterwards, I mean, um, I sent them one of the first links, like why is, how will Michigan considered the KKK capital of the state? And then I sent them two other things about um, one about from like the Lansing Gazette about how sundown towns leave this insidious level of, of harm behind. And I, I, you were one of the people who I texted about it when I realized that a lot of the places that Cedar Crest pulled from we're former sundown towns. So you've got this mm. issue of racism on campus, which is how you and I ended up working together in the first place. Yeah. And, and nobody can figure out why, like, I don't understand. And I don't understand why, why we, we aren't pulling more students of color. You're not putting more, pulling more students of color because you're pulling from spaces where they're not welcome. Not only are you pulling from spaces where they're not welcome, you're pulling from spaces that have been designed for decades to leave them out. Mm. Um, yeah. And I also made sure that I said, you know, just a friendly reminder, if we do this again, like you have got to be more aware of where we're going. 
And, you know, they were very, they were very kind in their response. They're like, I am so sorry. Um, and I did, once again, I was like, ultimately, you know, my safety is my own responsibility. Um, but I ask you to plan something that I didn't want any part of. And, and you made me have to be a part of it. So now the next time I have to be a part of it in order to ensure that I'm safe. Mm. Um, but they sent me, you know, that they had looked at neighborhoodwatch.com and like they had shown the, or I think it was like .org, um, and they had looked up the crime statistics and all of this and like all of the ways that they had tried to do their due di- diligence and they didn't understand how they missed it. And this is somebody who has had access to my content from the beginning that I know does not listen to it, that I have problems with on their own because you're now paying me as if I'm a charity so that you don't have to do any self-work. Uh, and that's obnoxious, that's insulting, and that makes me feel bad. So immediately by, I'm hostile. Uh, yeah, by paying, do you mean uh, subscribing? Yeah, they uh, were one of pay- my first okay, subscribers. Yes. Okay, thank you. Right, the, um, the podcast only tier was designed because they they couldn't afford, or they, they were unsure of whether or not they could consistently put forth what it would be to have both the podcast and the weekly blog post, but they were really, really interested in hearing, um, hearing me speak about things. Um, because once again, we spoke all the time. We probably, there were weeks that we spoke six hours a day for mm. five to 10 days in a row. Wow. Um, every day on their way to work, every day on their way home, they had at least a 45 minute commute. When traffic went more quickly, they stopped and they went to the store and like were shopping for things. So like we were very intertwined in each other's um, in each other's lives. We spent a lot of time virtually with each other, even if we weren't necessarily spending our our weekends together all of the time. And this these conversations like this had gone on for several years. A lot of my first podcasts that were free and that I was just putting out, and a lot of when I was running the website a lot of those topics came from suggestions that they had made. So I used to run my podcast by them on their drive in the morning to make sure that it sounded okay and to make sure that I had the confidence to talk about the thing that I wanted to talk about. Um, So the fact that I had talked about why the Neighborhood Watch is a problem in the past and they didn't listen and then it hurt me was really hard for me to handle because the neighborhood watch once again it was the neighborhood watching for people of color in the community after dark it started out as a violence group yeah and so this is something that i've already taught and and they knew that the whole reason why i started any of this was because it was asked of me because people kept asking me the same questions over and over again and i kept being drawn into conversations i didn't want to be a part of but if i had it written down or if i had it recorded I could just send them the link instead of going through all of that emotional labor all over again. Yeah. Yeah. A way to um, still be responsive, but, but without repeatedly going through. So I guess my question is this, and I think this could apply to, to people in relationships, you know, in, in myriad relationships, but you know, can there be a time when, relationships have kind of outgrown yes 
the the people and if so you know what are what are the signs and so because this is your relationship and your your friendship over all these years you know that that is a decision i think for you but i also i feel like i'm hearing that that you've almost made a decision um that that this was the piece that if you weren't already done um putting putting you in danger as well as uh your young child in danger was was pretty much the last the last straw i i don't know that's what i'm hearing and and so i don't know if i i don't know it does that sound right does it like what you know, do you see this relationship continuing? And and if so, is there a benefit of that? I mean, stopping a relationship does not necessarily, you know, erase the, the histories that you've had together, including, as you've talked about, all of those really great times um, and all of those hours and hours long conversation, those served you in those moments, those served you in that time and they served this other person as well. But perhaps, perhaps the relationship has run its course. Um, and I think, you know, as we talk about issues of, of race and of violence, uh, oftentimes when we talk about race, people think that it's political. Oh, you're being political. Um, but here, the the political is is personal, very very personal, um, for you, for your family, for your child, for you know, for your safety, um, and so I don't know. There just seems like a, a huge gap here between what was, you know, your relationship with this person years ago and with what the relationship with that person is is now. And I don't I don't know if that's mendable. Um, or if you should put yourself through that. Ask me why I picked the questions that I picked, Liz. Yes, I would, I would like to ask you why you picked the questions that you picked. Um, because one of the things that has come up a lot in all of these discussions is you are asking too much of me. And they can't find what they're possibly asking of me because they're not asking any questions. So while yes, I think it's pretty safe to say that I have objectively made a decision, I'm also using this as a teachable moment, mm. still understanding that they have, these have access, like they have access to these. I sent them the last one that I made, but I'm hoping that it coming from somebody else is enough who's, who's separated from the situation who is using words that I'm not using, who is older than I am. So it's not just a me thing. It's not just a millennial thing. It's not just a uh, chronically online take. I've asked you to talk about this. I will read the exact same prompt to Leon. I was supposed to read it to him last night. And because of everything happening in my hometown, I couldn't do it. I picked the people in my life who I value their opinion, who I've spoken about on this platform, who I've spoken about to this person on purpose. Because I'm not sure if we're just continuously missing each other's understanding. 
And if by bringing somebody else and asking somebody else how they would feel in those situations and being able to listen to that from a perspective of somebody completely removed from the relationship, if it will make a difference. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know this person, obviously, and I don't know um, the, I don't know all of the history. And, and so I wonder then what message is this for other people? And, and I'm going to, you know, take notes myself as well. Um, what message is this for other people asking folks to do this emotional labor, right? That's what it has me thinking. What, you know, what do we need to consider before we ask people to kind of put in this, this work? Um, And so I think that deserves a conversation in some kind of like formal way in life. And I don't know what that is, right? But, but this is really important because people will just say, well, I'm just, I was just asking a question or I just wanted your experience. I see this a lot on social media where uh, mm-hmm. someone will share something and someone will kind of pour their heart into a response saying, you know, something doesn't sit right here. This is not, this is not okay. Or you've shared this post or you've shared this meme. And this is what this means to me coming from my perspective. And, and people are constantly going back to that person and asking for more and asking for more. Um, so is there something that happens in social media too that, that gives us this space that we feel like we can continue go, to go back to people? I don't know. I think obviously this is a much like larger discussion and maybe it's your future book or something. But um, uh, it just has me thinking a lot about about what the expectations of labor are that we put on, on other people. Can you do me a favor before you go off into this, this tangent? I want this in here specifically. Can you go to our text thread from the day that I asked you if you would, um, if you would hop on here and can you read the text that I sent you? Yes. Give me just a moment. Should I have done this before? Right. Look at me just jumping onto things. Okay. Teachable um. moments. all around. <laughs> And that's, I do want to preface this by saying, I understand that this is in some ways an act of violence. I understand that posting this, this person is going to feel some type of way, but I also recognize that I talk about this person on this platform all the time and I don't name them and it doesn't hurt them because I don't read it, even though I let them know that it's there. Um, but also because the responses that I get to this, although they may not be so that everybody can see them. People are learning. People are learning from those mistakes. People are learning things about themselves. So it's not just me sitting here saying, you know, let's just shit on this person because I don't mean that. And I hope that I'm not addressing this in a way that is, that makes it seem that way. This is a friendship that I value. This is a valued. This is a person um, who I respect as an individual and who has children who are friends with my daughter. Um, I think that it is a very valuable teaching moment. I think that that is how my subscribers learn. That is how my listeners learn, whether they're subscribing Mm -hmm. on Patreon or they're um, sending me money via PayPal or cash app 
or whatever if Patreon isn't offered in their um, in their country. Because I actually have quite a few people from not the United States who listen, which is really cool. Mm. Um, and not just people who have their VPN set for other countries, but who legitimately live there. And um, and from different states, people I have met, people that I haven't. And everybody is at a different level of anti-racism journey. And when we're in in this like microcosm of making ourselves the main character of everything, it's really important that we understand that people of color don't get to be the main characters in their story in the same way that non-Black, Indigenous, and other people of colors do, at least in the United States. Mm. We get to be, at best, a side character because we are judged by the way that we interact with the the majority in the area that we're in. It jeopardizes our safety. It jeopardizes our future. It jeopardizes our family. It jeopardizes our children. And I know that I said family, but family and children are two different things because you can threaten, you know, my, my sister and I'm going to be like, well, she's in her 20s. She can hold her own. You threaten my child or you jeopardize the safety of my child. Then that's different. That is a different yeah. reaction from a parent. That yes. is a different reaction from an adult. Children are such a marginalized community that everybody just kind of writes off. They don't get a voice of their own. They're mm-hmm. not taken seriously in the same way adults are. They don't have the words for their emotions or the words to stick up for themselves in the same way. They can't, they can't in some spaces convince adults to even believe them that the yeah. things that they're talking about happen because they don't have the experience to express that properly. So you're protective of your children, not just because they're your children, but because they can't protect themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And they they don't yet have those skills uh, to protect themselves. Uh, That experience, that lived experience. Right. Yeah. I, I think what sounds so raw here and what sounds like it, it elevated this to uh, another space that maybe you didn't even know existed uh, was that you, you had your child in that scenario and you thought you assumed that, that a friend would keep you as much as they could would keep you and your child, uh, safe. And again, you, you pointed out, I think so thoughtfully that it's no one else's responsibility, but we, we care for each other. That's what we do as people, right? We look out for each other um, and, and especially children, I think for all the reasons that you so eloquently pointed out. So the text that I sent you. We have a lot of messages. So is this Even. about, <laughs> is this about the book? <laughs> is this about, no. oh, I don't want to. No, but the, the 38,000 words uh, that I've written in that book that I will likely never finish is like tangentially related to this yeah. relationship. So okay. I think that that's funny. Um, okay. But the one where I ask you to hop on in the sure. way that I say is that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I got this text. Hey, can you do a tiny bit of emotional labor for me and add it? to a project for Simply Put. It would require you to download the Anchor app and spend about 10 minutes listening to a scenario I was just in and responding about how you would feel in that situation. Yeah, so so right away, I think as someone who's, who's done so much emotional labor, you're very aware of wanting to uh, respect my space and my boundaries and my time. Um, 
because you've been, you've been in that scenario where you've given so much of yourself before. So I could, you know, I recognize that obviously, obviously right away. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you, you're very thoughtful about what you do and you expect that other people will do the same. And I think that's valid. And I think that's reasonable to expect that other people would do the same for you. So you never really answered the, what would you do in that scenario and how would you handle that? You led mm. me to talk more about how I have already handled it, I know. Um, <laughs> that's but you didn't actually answer my question. How I would do it. Um, so, you know, part of me wonders if, if I might not have severed uh, this relationship sooner. But, but I don't know, right? Um, it I apologize. Sounds... I missed everything that you just said because my phone started screaming Gangnam Style because I had gotten a phone call. Oh my gosh, that's kind of hysterical. Um, so what I, I was just saying since I, <laughs> since I should answer a question that I was asked, um, I, may have, I may have ended a relationship like this earlier. Um, and, and that is, you know, with me knowing five minutes of, of this lifetime of this history together. But I think in my, in my role as now, like a little bit of an elder, <laughs> you know, I have less tolerance for spaces, uh, and for people that, that are not considerate and less tolerance for people who are unwilling to kind of listen and to learn uh, because I believe that that your time is so limited and so valuable in particular time with family um, you know as someone who's a mom if I if I give someone like you said you know multiple hours of of a phone call that's time that I'm pulling away from something else um, so so I may have severed or, or really distanced this relationship ahead of time, you know, prior to this moment. Um, but if I hadn't for, for lots of reasons that I'm sure are very valid, uh, I, I don't know. I think I would probably share my piece, share what, share what I was feeling. Uh, I might write it because uh, then there is, less of a chance of misinterpretation and then I can replicate those words again if need be um and I'd share that I'd share that with this person and I'd probably uh wish them well even if they didn't leave me in a space where I was doing well um, so you mean like last year when I uh, left something open to all of my subscribers that was titled the struggle with interracial friendships Mm. So uh, this is a space here. Tell me more about that. Let me go. Let me go back. Let me go back. Um, it's actually funny because another one of my uh, subscribers from friends had posted something uh, from HuffPost about um, biracial and uh, non-biracial um, people of color talking about how difficult it is as adults to maintain friendships with non-POC friends 
because it hurts. Mm. And when I first read this, I knew it was something that I wanted to write about, but it was right after our initial falling out. And it was still really raw for me. And I, I knew that that is what had caused me to react the way that I did. Mm. I knew that me growing in confidence as being the person who I am now, who is not at all the person who she was in college, um, who is definitely not the person when I first met this, this person in second grade. Um, I grew to respect myself in a different way. I grew to call out behaviors yeah. in a different way. Um, that this, this person didn't get to go on that journey with me entirely. Um, they didn't get to watch that change happen in the same way because even though I was talking about these things, uh, sometimes it was very much, a, I get this is really important to you, but I'm just waiting for you to stop talking so I can talk about something that I want to talk about. Yeah, I think as uh, <laughs> that's what we do as, as communicators a lot of times. And that's not, that's not ideal situation. But I hear that often when people are having conversations. And, but wow, when you're, when you're going through something and, and pushing something through something, that's such a struggle and such... Um, such a moment or many moments of, of identity finding, right? Or, wow, that's really. So, mm. I was learning boundaries. I was, I was learning to assert my own boundaries um, and to really back those up. And that was something that I did very fre- frequently in other spaces. Like professionally, you are not going to bully me into doing something I don't want to do. I'm not going to sit there and listen. When I speak places, I have right in my contract that if white people start yelling at me, like yelling at me, not just yelling in general and being passionate about something. If they start yelling at me, I'm done. And you still have to pay me my entire fee. I have absolutely no patience professionally for that kind of, for that kind of interaction. Yeah. But personally, because I'm still at the time was transitioning my friends from being nice to being kind, which is something Mm -hmm. that I started talking about in April. And I swear I have not stopped talking about since. Um, Every situation, I'm like, this is because you're nice. This happened because you're nice. This is what you're setting up the people who you are responsible to mold as a human being for. And this is a cross thing. Like, I'm not specifically talking about this person. This is a conversation I've had with my daughter's teachers. This is a conversation I've had with my husband. This is a conversation that I had with my mom. A conversation that I have frequently with my friend Megan, who brought it to my attention in the first place, who is going to guest star at some point when my life stops blowing up, to actually sit down and have that conversation as the person who brought it to my attention in the first place. In the interim years, the two years where we've tried six times to figure this out and it hasn't worked, um, I transitioned the rest of my friends to being kind Mm. and this person stayed nice. And that's not the criticism that it sounds like. Um, Being nice as a white person, as a white AFAB individual is something that is almost bred into you from the moment that you're born. My mom is a white woman. I am a mixed person with a white mom and that is very different than a mixed person with a white dad. And so I have been confronting that level of things and watching my mom use that to her advantage in order to protect me 
in a way that would never work for me. And I tried it. I tried crying when I was upset. Uh, mm-hmm. And I got told that I was manipulating a situation. I tried getting unreasonably angry about something. And even though it's a restrained anger, I still got called aggressive. Meanwhile, my mom can be in somebody's face, which is not particularly true because she's only 4'10". So she's not really <laughs> in anybody's face. But my mom can back somebody into a a wall. My mom backed my principal into a corner who was 6'4 when I was 12 years old over gym class and racism and fat phobia in gym class. Like, I could never do that. I would get arrested. Yeah. So understanding that those things that white women especially have been bred to get out of situations is now something that doesn't work on your best friend. It was something that never really worked to begin with, but I didn't care enough about myself to say anything. And I valued this time that I was able to escape from whatever else was going on in my life to really dedicate to somebody who I otherwise enjoy talking to. So when I said like boundaries were set, they were ignored. I added things the second time. They were set. They were ignored. We didn't fight about it. They cried. And I continued to hold the boundary, which is something that I wouldn't have done before. I would have been like, this is too much for me. Like, I'm not willing to add this extra space into it. I'm not willing to do extra work. And now I'm a parent of somebody who's in school. I'm seeing how that interacts in my daughter's life. And I'm also not in the same place mentally where I was then. Since then, I like co-founded Pledge for Our Best with Nicole and Lenny and Tony. And I really, I really gave a lot into that before I stepped back because my life got what my life tends to do. And I couldn't dedicate that time anymore. Mm. I've grown this platform. I've been continuously asked to do more things outside of this platform and more public speaking and and more engagement-based things. And I've grown in confidence as who I am as a person. So in no other space in my life am I going to allow this to happen. So I'm certainly not going to set up fixing a friendship by allowing something that I don't let people do to me anymore. Uh, and it's, it sounds like even when uh, your, your former teacher does not answer the question, you uh, are able to answer that question oh yeah I don't ever ask people questions I don't know the answer to (laughs) Ah! oh my gosh that is uh that's fabulous um I appreciate your distinction (laughs) I appreciate your distinction between nice and kind and I know that was something that you talked about on your podcast before and it's actually something I've I've talked about with other uh, faculty members over time because I I always thought being nice was was so critically important so I appreciated your reference to that uh, as well I really do um, so here's my question do you think that you will uh, take these recordings as you talk to different people in your orbit and you know what what do you hope the what do you hope that goal 
that goal is. So I know the one goal is, is, you know, to kind of walk through this and think through this and, and perhaps get a different perspective for other people. Um, does it, does it live beyond this in some way? Um, um, I don't, I don't know how to answer that. Uh, I think everything that I post in general is intended to live beyond my original posting. Uh, You don't know this, but I know this. I don't charge people of color who subscribe to me um, at all, ever. Um, Those, I'm not going to charge them for me to tell them things that they already know. That's not fair. Um, And I didn't originally post for people of color. I still don't really post for people of color. But having had conversations with other individuals of color who say, I could never phrase what I wanted to say the way that you Mm. were able to phrase that. Yes, yeah. So simply put and simply more and simply ashes as a whole has become something that's slightly more than what I intended, where it's giving voices to people who aren't quite there yet. But it's also teaching people who genuinely want to learn um, the things that they're doing that are harmful unintentionally do I think that this was an intentional oversight absolutely not I genuinely think that this person feels bad and is now embarrassed um about what happened and I didn't mean for them to be embarrassed but I know them well enough to know that that's probably um how that went and judging from their reaction that was the way that it went um but I told them ahead of time that that was what I was going to do um they had the opportunity to tell me no and that is something that is always afforded when I talk about other people. So we will finish this conversation at some point um, and I will have the conversation with Leon and whether I make them two separate segments or not, I will publish this and the first thing that I will do is send this to that person and you and Leon if they're, they're together. But I am not going to hide the fact that I'm using something as a teachable moment and I'm also not going to do it blindly during the times in the past where we have tried to fix this friendship every single time I was like I'm I'm gonna post something about this and at the time they were the only person in their tier so I could just make it accessible for them to read but they never checked and that's not my fault the information was available to them and I think that above anything is what is the hardest is it could have been avoided and it wasn't. And so when I asked the questions that I asked, the first question that, um, the first question that I asked was actually from an email that I got that wasn't from this person who said, are you sure you're not turning a molehill into a mountain? Like, is this really this big of a deal? And then the second one was this person doesn't understand what I'm asking. What I, what I'm saying when I'm, when I'm expressing that they're asking too much of me and I don't want to be asked that amount of stuff. And I recognize that I say that I don't want that. And then I have now made at least two hours worth of content. about it. (laughs) Um, But that's because it's so important that people outside of like the friendship or not friendship understand what that is and how insidious this level of, of racism and microaggressions and white supremacy 
can be and how important it is if you want to have people of color in your life that you are willing to do your due diligence and every other time that we have gone places she has so I'm not when I use this as like an example it is not specifically shitting on this person when I add in the other things perhaps maybe I am perhaps I'm being slightly petty about it um but I really want to drive the point home that I actually am making sense and this makes sense to other people who come from different walks of life than I do, who come from different backgrounds than I do. And it's not that I'm making something up. Mm. And if I can't give her the words that she needs to understand where I'm coming from, maybe somebody else can, because eventually she's going to find another person of color that she wants to be friends with, even if it's not me. And she's going to understand the asking. The point of me talking about the friendship is the asking, not the not the event. I already talked about the event. My comment section of that is exactly what I expected it to be. Um, but this specifically is somebody else being willing to acknowledge that it is asking. And I, I ask people of different backgrounds on purpose. And mm-hmm. I ask you about your background on purpose because what that ask is for our individual backgrounds is likely going to be different. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I just, there's, I still feel like this is very, like, fresh and that there's a lot of, like, pain here. Um, And, like, uh, it's just very, it's just very, very raw. Um, And so I, I hope that what this is able to accomplish is that people who might hear this and hear you share your story that they'll, they'll think for a minute before they require something of someone or, you know, ask someone for something that they don't understand really what that ask is. Because, you know, this is not, um, this is not something that is unique to just your friendship with this person, right? And I think that's why you're putting it on a, on a recording, right? That's why you're sharing it with the people that you, you know, because this is not simply just connected to, to your relationship with this person. This is something that we're seeing uh, women of color having to deal with in their personal lives and their professional lives uh, and lots of spaces. Mm. Someday one of my subscribers is going to be even more of a bossier boss than they currently are, whoever that may be. Yes. Yes. And they are going to have to learn a level of cultural competence in order to make sure that they are a safe person for their employees. And as I've gotten older, I've focused so incredibly much on, on being a safe place for, for people. I used to work with abused and neglect kids who I still see all the time like you you may not know that the person that I went to their twins birth I I was their medical power attorney that's why I was there because she didn't have anybody safe in her life to trust with her medical care if she was unable to um unable to advocate for herself Mm -hmm. I was her medical power attorney above the father of her twins who was there that day as well 
So me being a safe person needs to be an all around thing. I don't yeah. get to just make mistakes in that way because marginalized communities aren't just different races. They're not different colors. Kids, foster mm-hmm. children, interracial adoptees, which is an entirely different uh, level than just regular adoptees. Both are marginalized communities. One means something entirely different. Yeah. And mm. you can't say that you are a safe space for marginalized communities if you're leaving them out. And we all make mistakes. Even in my last podcast, um, I made a mistake and I left it in there. And it was like, I was mocking the way that somebody said something. And I was like speaking slow and I had an accent that I shouldn't have had. And it was unintentional, but like I heard it come out of my mouth and I was like, that sounds like I'm mocking like a Chinese migrant worker. And I don't Mm. like that. And immediately the sentence was over. I was like, that was racist and that was ableist. And I am not taking that out because I want you all to understand that we all make mistakes and it's our commitment to making sure that we're not making it again. And I feel like in that specific friendship is something that is not there. There is no commitment to making sure that you're not making the same space or the same situations happen again. You're not committing to doing it. You're committing to trying and committing to trying something allows you the opportunity to fail. It gives you permission to fail. Yeah. Yeah. What you just said there about it's the repeated uh, mistakes that become intolerable. You know, I think that that's a a huge takeaway. That's a huge takeaway. So I am going to go ahead and end this segment at 72 minutes and 30 seconds. That does not mean that I'm telling you I don't want you to continue to talk or I don't want to continue this conversation. I just recognize that my subscribers have uh, sometimes the attention span of a turnip. uh, And I want to make sure that they get the information that they get. And I also have decided I'm not editing things anymore. Um, because it's important that things are experienced real. If I, like, if I'm silent for five minutes and forget that I was supposed to be talking, that's one thing. Um, But I'm not going to go through and edit conversations or edit trains of thoughts because there's still something of value within those spaces. Yeah, and I think what you said, too, about, you know, if people are aware of that going into it, they know that you're kind of having this conversation, like you've invited them into like your living room, you know, to mm-hmm. like have this conversation and to hear, and it's, it's not always going to be perfect. It's not always going to be flawless, but it is going to be you or me in this case or us and just having a conversation and hoping that people hear it, you know, in the way that it's intended with, with good nature and with good thoughts and, um, trying to to get to the bottom of something that's really important so I can appreciate that you know somebody can pull up right next to this podcast with their with their tea and uh and just listen and feel like they're getting together with with some friends and having an important conversation okay but coming from you that is quite the compliment and the fact that you have played things that I have said in your classroom uh makes my heart want to explode like I have always strived to be somebody who can be a conversationalist, who can 
who can make you feel like we're just having a conversation because not every topic of race that is hard um, needs to be confrontational. Absolutely. So if you don't have a friend that you can talk to about it, like, hey, look, it's me. We're going to sit down and we're going to talk. I'm going to talk at you, but you're not going to realize that because I'm likable. I'm palatably black. Mm. It is never boring. (laughs) (laughs) It's never boring when we talk. It is not, but... I am going to end this segment right now. You are more than welcome to request another link and I will absolutely continue to talk to you. Um, I don't have anywhere else I have to be for a hot second, uh, but that is entirely up to you. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so grateful for our time. Um, One of my, as we've talked about mothering throughout this segment or, or parenting and how that changes your perspective. uh, One of my, Uh, girls gets out of school early today and so she should be getting out very soon Uh, so I am going to try to wrap up a little bit of work I have a lecture tomorrow uh, at the college and I'm you know want to bring my a-game for that so I'm gonna (laughs) they don't deserve your (laughs) a-game but those students in those seats do. So they're going to, they're going to get it. They're going to get it. Hopefully my A plus game. Cause that's, you know, <laughs> the kind of person I want to be. Uh, but, but yeah, so I'm going to pour into that, but I'm really looking forward to, to hearing more as you continue this, this thought process and this conversation and, uh, you know, looking forward to, um, hearing, you know, more too, as your family continues to grow and, um, and how you navigate this, this mamahood, because it changes, <laughs> it changes things, huh? It, it certainly things. does. So until <laughs> next time, stay All right. safe. Take care.